got planned, which I think is hilarious that we both have on red. I know, right? This is, it gets a little crazy. Uh, please forgive Butter's toys in the background, but, you know, he, we had to, well, you like what I've done with the place? What? Oh, yeah. Okay. You rearranged. I remember that lighting there. Okay. Okay. All right. Oh, you moved Butter's couch. Mm-hmm. Where's Butter? <laughs> well, already. <laughs> Little delay. In the oh, t- today's going to be awesome. And so now I understand how everybody feels when they try to have their notifications to be the first one in the chat. Mm-hmm. Now I can understand, like, you know, I guess the pain points that everybody experiences because everybody gets it at different times. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. We may have to switch it to doing like top three or something like that. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know about that. It's, we'll see. We'll see. But we do have to. Oh, yeah. Okay. I see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I see. Because it doesn't show what second, you know, it just, you just have to assume that the first one came in at the second before the other ones, I guess. Yeah. So. Wait, hold up, Mark. You're a whole year older now. I know, right? Can you believe it? Dang. You getting up there, brother. You know, I'm out here. I can't call you traffic. (laughs) I don't know if I was ever going to be classified as that. (laughs) Nope. It see it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit me. I feel it like you know people. Somebody actually called me Uncle Mark on Twitter. I, I saw that. That was uh, who was that? Killer. Yep, that was Kells. Shout outs to Kells, by the way, and shout outs to everybody that was on that Twitter Spaces because there was a lot going on there in the background. I definitely want to send a special shout out to Bar Chart for sponsoring yes. the Come Up Series because there's a lot of history there, not only with myself, but also with you. So it's very dope to have such a partner that's really like played a huge part in our lineage um, of us as traders uh, as and also investors as well. And I'm pretty excited for the things that are going to be coming down the pipeline from that relationship as well. So, but outside of that, you ready to get started? All right. What's good, everybody? I am Mark Monroe, accompanied by my wonderful co-host, co-producer, and co-creator, and, of course, good thre- good friend, and all things, you know, coming out here in Detroit Red. I see you. Give it up for none other than, I should say this, I got a, I got a new one. I got a new one. You ready for it? You, you ready for it? Lady Jolene of Leisureton. <laughs> I cannot. What's a good, what does it, Cousins, Jolene, you see in the place to be on this fine Tuesday. Hope y'all are doing well. Shout out to um, Unc. Y'all might call him Uncle Charles. I just call him Unc. So what up, Unc? He says you're an uncle now too, Mark. Absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely Where not. <laughs> but I, I guess you can call me Uncle Mark. It's Uncle Mark to the children. If you're 18 and under, I'm Uncle Mark. But if you're 18 and above, then, or if you're 19 and above, it's definitely not Uncle Mark. It's definitely like Cousin Mark. So we're going to keep it kosher. But uh, first things first, if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button down below because we would greatly appreciate you being a part of this wonderful community called the Come of Cousins. And on top of that, if you want to be in the know, just like cousin roman roman hitting us hitting us with the yo i see you then go ahead and hit that bell so that way you can be a part of the notification squad aka the cool kids club 
And on top of that, you know, if you think that, you know, JoLynn and I rocking red today, you know, is pretty kosher and pretty cool or whatever out here, then go ahead and hit that like button. We would greatly appreciate it. And I'm probably sure that cousins to be would also appreciate that, too, because you will help this quote unquote YouTube algorithm get it out to them because they're probably missing out on some pretty dope stuff. So. All right. So, JoLynn. Yes. Now that we got the formalities out of the way. (laughs) Let's into this market. All right. Let's do it. I'll just let the record reflect that the only thing red about this market really was what we decided to wear today because it was a broad market rally. And here's a pro tip. You can use Bar Chart's um, new heat map feature so you can see that broad market rally for yourself. But anyway, let's get into it. So the Dow was up 754.44 points and the S&P 500 was was up 105.84 points. The Nasdaq coming in with 353.10 points and you know the VIX came down just a little bit, just a little bit to 24.50 and the US Treasury note is now at 3 percentage points heading over to sector performance as you know there are 11 sectors y'all 11 sectors and we track the top three and the bottom three so we can see what that rotation is looking like and as i said it was all green all of broad market rally today so we have let me see Communication services coming in at number one, followed by industrials, then energy. And our bottom three, health, consumer staples, and utilities. Now, let's talk about how these picks did, y'all. So if you are new here, you might not know. Mark, they might not even know that if they went to our Instagram page at that come up series, they could find the picks, the most recent pick list for a mm-hmm. 20, a 22. So coming in at the top ticker symbol T Q Q all the way up 8.75 percentage points. Lamb research up 5.62 percentage points and Netflix y'all. We'll talk about Netflix a little later. Netflix <laughs> they were at market close. They were up 5.61 percentage points. And when I looked in the aftermarket, they were up 7.85 percentage points. And Joanne Fabrics holding it down for the bottom, uh, negative 0.99 percentage points. We got Signature Bank coming in at negative 4.51 percentage points. And when TQQ is up, then you got SQQQ on the bottom, and now they are negative 8.96 percentage points for the day. I see my husband in the chat. Hello, sir. How are you doing? (laughs) Now we have Netflix. I want to talk about Netflix, Mark. (laughs) What's up, Jamaica in the building? I want to talk about Netflix. I want to talk about um, also the how to spot a massive um massive scale for a company i want to talk about that we have some questions so you know all it's about to be a party i got my water you got your water and we're ready to go hopefully i don't run out but you know i just i just cracked open the bottle so we should be good all right you know i didn't i i already drank my apple cider vinegar soda so i should be all right all right so where should we even begin? Because there's a lot going on. There's, uh, we got earnings, we got a lesson, we got questions. You know, yes. all of okay. this is coming to me like, like what? Let's start with Netflix earnings. Okay. First, let's get into it because. Okay. 
So let's actually pull that up on the screen, um, if I may. Let me see if I can get it up here for everybody. So one second. Uh, tab and boom. There we go. All right. So hopefully everybody can see this glorious screen called Netflix earnings or letter to shareholders as of July 19th. <laughs> 19th. Um, so first things first, I'll just read the paragraph because there's sometimes people that are just like driving around or just wanting to, you may be working out, you may be walking. And so you may not be able to see, you know, what's on screen. So you know, I'm going to try to read it out for everybody. So Q2 was better than expected on membership growth and foreign exchange was worse than expected, aka stronger US dollar. Let me break that down real quick. So beforehand, the euro was actually a lot higher than the US dollar and alongside with other currencies. But as we've been seeing that other countries have been literally faltering during this entire time, they've been cratering and especially the euro. I think it's fell to its 20 year low. I think the last time that we've seen it at that period of time was probably, I think, uh, since 2002, when the, U the US dollar and the euro kind of like came pretty much neck and neck with one another, or even if they inverted. Um, so that's going to play a huge issue, especially during this period of earnings. But if you can look past like just the simple foreign exchange uh, issues and look beyond that and look at, say, for example, the other things like, is there still growth? Is there still a strong market there? Are people literally looking to still utilize the services and everything else? That could be huge because if you look at it, uh, it resulting in 9% revenue growth, 13% uh, constant currency. And then our challenge and opportunity is to accelerate our revenue and membership growth by continuing to improve our product, content and marketing as we've done for the last 25 years. Okay and to better monetize our big audience. Now, we're going to get into that in a second. We're in a position of strength given our 30 billion plus in revenue, 6 billion in operating profit last year, growing free cash flow and strong balance sheet. Our summary results and forecasts are below. Now, I'm not going to go through this entire document, but one of the things that really sticks out to me is of course, this would stick out to anybody is literally their year over year growth which coming all the way from last year's Q2 all the way to really where we are now, we're seeing that essentially that we're seeing that there's a lot of like compression that's starting to take place in their year over year growth. Now, this could be like, you know, one of the things which I'll get into in a little bit where we start to see the law of large numbers. I mean, I think that we've seen this with Amazon once they got to a certain point, or it can also be the fact that given the current economic times can also have an impact. So which can kind of let you know that over a period of time that they've been uh, decreasing in earnings growth or or year over year growth uh, based upon quarter over quarter. And then on top of that, if you look at their memberships, you went from 209 to 213, 221, 221. We kind of cratered here and then we started to come down a little bit again. To me, I see that as partly in the sense of law of large numbers. You scaled massively very fast. And on top of that, you had a pandemic. And of course, it's like you've has quite the staying power, but yet the industry itself is starting to change. Um, so that's really what sticks out to me. And of course, they forecast uh, when it comes to those paid memberships, they expect that to be down by 3.8%. And then, of course, when it comes to revenue uh, down, uh, well, growing at 4.7% versus that's a huge drop off. If you think about it, almost 50% from 8.6 to 4.7. Um, but as you can see, free cash flow. I mean, honestly, not mad at y'all there. You went from negative 175 to 106, and then you took that huge hit in 569, 
um, which I heard that that was probably about a significant investment that they were making, um, which we'll probably get into. And then, of course, Q1 being a great quarter. And then, of course, Q2, not as good. But again, you, you're starting to see exactly what's starting to play out for Netflix. Now, of course, when they get to their Q2 results, they said that pretty much uh, Q2 grew 9% year over year or 13%, excluding the $339 million in foreign currency impact. Now, some of some people will think that, OK, Mark, that's not a lot. No, in reality, that's significant because those dollars start to add up. Imagine what that would have added to their cash flow. Imagine what that would have done as it pertains to hiring or, say, for example, expansion of product. You can also look at it as it pertains to, say, for example, where they invest in content, which Netflix is notorious for investing in content. When your cash flow starts to be impacted based upon what's taking place in revenue, now what you're going to have to do is you have to plan ahead and maybe start to either cut headcount or, say, for example, have to figure out ways where you get creative. So this is driven by a 6% and 2% increase in average paid memberships. Uh, and then it respect and then excluding the impact of foreign exchange, uh, they're pretty much at arm rose by 7% year over year. So pretty much that's just their average revenue per membership. So not bad, not, you know, stellar, but I mean, they were able to bend, but not break. I mean, that's what it looks like. Um, so the biggest thing that was the, the news, the, the news of the day was, there was a forecast of two million uh, in loss in loss users in paid memberships, globally, right? But globally, but it actually turned out to be only nine hundred thousand, which was more than half uh, from what was actually expected. So that probably is the reason why you saw the stock really take its its drive to the upside because revenue came in light below Wall Street's expectations. EPS significantly beat across the board because I think. EPS was at 2.94 and then yet the they reported I think it was like $3.20 or $3.26 um, for EPS or earnings per share. So again, it's kind of like a mixed results, but yet at the same token, the biggest number is when it came down to the forecast and what was forecasted and what they beat on that side of the, uh, the table. Mark, was that forecast in the last earnings report as like a sandbag or... Did that come out a little um, later? I think it was a little bit in the sense of a, uh, I think it was built into their forecast, but then I think it was also a little bit of sandbagging. It's like you, it's like you, when you know that something bad is on the horizon, you plan for the worst mm -hmm. and it's a, you expect the worst, but yet at the same token, do everything that you can to soften the landing or soften the blow. So, and in this particular arena, it, I mean, it, it pretty much was that essentially that somebody could look at this as a sandbag. But in reality, I think it was just Netflix planning for the worst because okay. no, a lot of company. And I think we're going to see this as a running trend across specific companies, especially probably even within the media space. You know, a lot of them plan for the worst, given in the sense that they didn't know, you know, how inflation was hitting households until the data came out. So when you find yourself in that arena, especially in within a recession market, you start to find yourself in a place in which that luxury items start to get cut. So things in which that are like AKA either frivolous expenses or say, for example, things in which that you can kind of do without, then you'll cut them. And Netflix could be considered kind of one of those arenas. For me personally, Netflix is not something I would cut. I mean, yeah, I think that across millennials and, and Gen Xers and Gen Zers, they're probably not going to cut 
on Netflix, but say, for example, across other generations or other people in different financial, you know, situations, mm -hmm. you know, it could really have a significant impact if you have to like, think about like, and then I will say this. One of the things that I mentioned a while back was nobody's really paying attention to insurance companies for some reason, because yeah, during the pandemic, people were still paying for their insurance and everything else. And now you're in a market in which said, okay, hey, now you really have to pay for your insurance premiums. And I would I would expect that those those premiums are probably going to start going up. So it's just something to say here in the sense that, you know, again, if you had to cut your if you had to cut a Netflix in order to save a few dollars so that way you could pay for, say, for example, those types of related relatable items, you're going to have to make a decision. What would you cut? Like if you had to cut something, what would you cut? That's, uh, that's something that's a little, you know, a luxury. If I had to cut something that's a luxury, mm -hmm. I don't do a lot of luxury spending. I mean, okay. Okay. So for me, I, I, I would look at it like this. I would probably cut some of my gaming memberships. Okay. So like, you know, like, like a Uplay plus or Ubisoft plus and stuff like that. I would probably cut those. Mm-hmm. And cut back on those, but I mean, <laughs> I don't know. So, I mean, I think that that's really when it comes down to it, it gets into the weeds as it pertains to areas that were probably like, you know, where they get into the, where the devil's in the details, but in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So I was actually completely off. So it was actually 296, but then the EPS beat was at 320. But I mean, all in all, yeah. So then there's forecasts where it's like they still expect, I, I think that in this case, I think that they're still kind of like planning for the worst, AKA also sandbagging for the earnings. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same token, since you came through on a massive beat on your previous forecast, I don't know, I don't think the streets, you know, I don't think the, the streets agree. So I think that the streets are like, you know, hey, maybe the, you know, we expected this to be the worst and essentially it wasn't as bad as we expected it to be. So boom. Someone said they cut Netflix. They called Netflix a heifer and said, I cut that heifer loose months ago. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to each his own, to each his own. I mean, it happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the things that I would really stress for, like if the folks at Netflix are paying attention or if they're watching, you know, we'd love if you watch because love to give some free advice or just some advisory. Um, you know, I understand that what they're trying to do is expand into the gaming space, especially what they're doing in the mobile space. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that some of the titles that they have, I think that they should definitely focus on. And these are investments that you carry on for the long haul. Netflix, in the grand scheme of things, it could be rocky. But in the like in the longer term, I think that Netflix will be fine if they actually have an actual expansion strategy to grow. Like one of their best, the, one of their best decisions ever. And this is the reason why you can't really count them out is because again, in 2008, during the financial crisis, they chose to go from like sending DVDs to then literally going digital. And that was groundbreaking. You know, people would be like, well, Mark, that's not really that huge, but in the grand scheme of things, no, that's, that's significant. Blockbuster, like. That's game changing. Yeah, that was a huge shift in media what they did was completely ground shaking because of the fact that they made the conscientious decision to say, okay, Hey, we are going to definitely grow the business. And essentially we see that 
There is a ton of opportunity here. Let's take advantage of it because we don't see anybody else. Now the space has literally started to grow up. And now it's just like, all right, well, it makes sense. Like, think about it. You, you, didn't, ha you didn't really have Hulu back in that time frame. So now you have Hulu, you have Disney Plus and all these other streaming services. And everybody wants to come with a premium. So now the market has been completely oversaturated. I think that where Netflix is going to have to pay attention is looking into arenas like, for example, like you see that Apple and Amazon are going after sports. You know, there's so many arenas in which that content is being attributed. Look at what's happening with YouTube. YouTube is forever consistently getting content, which is showing you that people are forever watching some form of content. So I would say that, you know, look towards other diverse areas of, con of, of content or content creation or content availability because there's a ton out there. There's a ton out there. So let's, let me see, let's take at least a question and then sure. move on to the, the lesson. Of let's the do it. Um, okay. So we have some comments of appreciation. So thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. So we have a question about, um, oh, here's a question that's related to what we we're just talking about. So do you think Netflix um, set the stage for positive big tech earnings. I think that they did. I think that, you know, the sum of all fears is kind of like, uh, I don't know. I think, in, I think that, you know, we're, we're at a place where a lot of folks, like I said, they plan for the worst. And now that the worst is, you know, has happened, you know, it's like, this is one of those quarters where it's like, you expect all things bad to be, you know, at play here. Um, and so if it happens, it happens. But if anything, it's like what Netflix showed. I think it showed that, you know, maybe these companies are a lot stronger than what everybody thought that they were and that they have a lot more pricing power and everything else that can keep them, you know, doing quite well. So honestly, if this were me, yeah, I, I would, I would really not, I wouldn't be betting against, um, I wouldn't be betting against tech at this point in time, because I feel like the, the worst of the worst is already happened per se. So okay, that's just, that's just what I think. I mean, you know, if anything, you can use, you can use Netflix because Netflix was being hammered. Netflix was being significantly hammered over the past two quarters. Look at it now. So it was it was expected that we're like, OK, hey, it's not going to be stellar. But are we starting to see that the light of the tunnel that we're at? We're, can we see the light at the end of the tunnel and that we're moving on beyond this? And again, you know, you have to take in that seasonality factor. Also, a lot of these companies, this isn't their best. This isn't their best time to shine when it comes to Q2, Q3, depending on if they're service business or product base. So those are the things that you also have to keep into perspective. But the looming. Uh, the looming arena there mm -hmm. is definitely going to be foreign exchange. So I feel like Netflix is a good segue into um, how to spot a massive company expansion. You know, um, you talked about some things that Netflix should be considering. We talked about their heyday of 20, 2008 and they pivoted and did something revolutionary within mm -hmm. that industry so how do we spot massive company expansion 
Well, I'm glad that you asked, Jolyn, because uh, I think it's time. You know, it's like, you know, honestly, I've been doing a few of these. And so, you know, this one's going to be kind of like a teaser. But, you know, you know we're going we're gonna to make it do what it do today. So give me one quick second, because I want to make sure that we're good here. Um, you know, back, you know, by popular demand. <laughs> I guess, so to speak, we are coming in hot for a come up school of investing uh, presentation. Now, you know, I normally don't do a lot of these, but for some reason, it's like based upon how everything has been transpiring, I've been kind of like been in my bag. And since I don't really get to have them the amount of time that I wish that I had these days to literally sit back and do some filming, you know, now I can actually just do one of these for y'all and make sure that I provide you some solid details. So y'all ready? Yep. Okay, so understanding when it's time to expand. Now, a lot of folks really ask me this question, like, you know, hey, Mark, you know, when is it truly time to expand my business or, you know, literally like, you know, take the world by storm? You know, there's a few things when we look at it, you know, f within perspective. You know, some of the things that you can look at is, say, for example, you know, your business, you know, your customers can kind of tell you, like, if your customer demand is significantly high and yet, you know, you've been sitting, you know, kind of like in just simple growth mode, but now you're in scale mode where it's like you got to go even further. That's one of them. You know, your space is getting a little tight. You know, you have too much business to handle. Um, and then, you know, opportunities that are presented to you, they, they're just too good to pass up where it's just like you got to take the opportunity. That's one of them. And on top of that, it's like another thing when we look at talent, like when you just don't have the skills, um, uh, skills over time. So which means that the business cannot afford for you to sit back and take the time to go and learn something. You just need to hire somebody. Um, yeah, those are like key ingredients for small businesses when it comes to like expanding. But what does it look like for publicly traded companies? you know, and what they have to go through. So let's go through that because there's a lot of questions behind that. So, you know, a simple thing when we look at an S curve, right? It's pretty much growth over time. So when you start a business, you start pretty much from ground zero. I mean, I think that we all are aware of that. When you start, a, when you start from the basics um, or from the ground up, that's pretty much the very, very beginning of like, you know, hey, you're flushing out an idea or whatever it is. But, you know, if you notice, like then you go from start to growth to scale and then you reach a maturity point. So those are really like the things. Those are the main four arenas when it comes to the growth cycle of a company. So once you get past the initial upswing, the life cycle of a successful company takes on the form of, you know, an S curve. So as you can see, that's an S curve. So the S shape represents growth over time, starting out slowly, picking up speed during rapid growth, then tapering off as growth slows. Now, that's something that you may want to, you know, add that as a note just for folks out, out there. This is literally, you know, forget what the, you know, forget all the, you know, of course we see the hockey sticks in the beginning, but then over a period of time, it doesn't really look like a hockey stick anymore. It starts to come down and it starts to kind of like look like a large wave. Um, and depending on how is it that you plan as a business, they can have massive impacts in which that we're getting ready to go into. So, um, 
let's go into the next one. So now we find ourselves like this is where we get like even miniature in the inside where we start to see where you see the start growth and scale. So it starts to become a little bit more where it's like you start to see that strategic inflection point. And so normally where it's like a sustained uh, momentum where it's still just going up to the high. So it's like you're just having rapid amounts of growth. We see that along with like a lot of companies that took place during the pandemic. And then you had other companies that over a period of time, they like reach a place of stagnation where it's like, yeah, I'm here. I'm not I'm not I'm not scaling. But at the same token, I'm not declining either. So I'm just like sitting there in the middle where I'm just like kind of like cruising where I'm just like sitting here flat. And then, of course, there is that other one, which is pretty much that decline which pretty much represents that inflection point into the downside where you're starting to see that capitulation going to the, to the downside. And so what do we learn in these things, right? So if you're growing, uh, so if you're growing, you're shifting, right? So every growth business encounters strategic inflection points at various points, you know, whether you can experience it from the start, you can experience it at growth, and then you can even experience it at a scale point. Um, and then on top of that, you know, the inflection points may vary. So inflection points vary based upon internal and external factors. You know, it could be your team, you know, your process, you know, access to capital, economic cycles, business cycles, all of that. And then of course there's the sustained forward momentum. The goal at any inflection point is to sustain a forward momentum. That's the ultimate goal. Um, so like, for example, when we look at some of those external factors, right? Like there's external factors and then there's internal factors. So some of those external factors that you may look at are economics. So AKA the economy, it could be finance, infrastructure, politics, and trends. So let me go through it a little bit for you. So when we think about the economy on a local, regional, national, and global level, even healthy businesses are hard pressed to thrive during a recession and consumers are spending less. I think we all know that one. So then there's a finance part, like, for example, financial institutions are part of every transaction and control everything from interest rates and credit to consumer loans. The stability of every business, you know, just to keep it simple, to some degree, relies on the solvency of these organizations. And then there's infrastructure, like, for example, construction, housing development and zoning laws can impact businesses that rely on physical locations to improve operations or attract customers and talent. Then, of course, politics, changes in local, state, and federal laws and regulations can have uh, huge effects on a business when a core product or service becomes regulated or illegal. So imagine, you know, just to keep it simple for everybody, imagine what Facebook or the company Meta would look like if they started being pressed and there was actual true regulation that was actually put forth. Um, or, say, for example, competitive laws that we normally see for anti-monopolistic practices. Let's say if those practices started, if those regulations started to ease, then imagine what would happen with those companies. So, again, it's like, you know, like, for example, look at the marijuana industry where it became legal, um, where it changes things due to politics and it creates a whole new market. Um, so it's, it's just those types of things. Now, when we look at trends, even companies that spend considerable time and money on positioning can suddenly find themselves on the wrong side of public opinion or a movement. So... It just happens to be like when we look at Amazon, right? They, they're known for massive amounts of scale, but also at the same token, because of that massive amounts of scale, they've gotten so large. And of course, when you get so large, then, you know, people start to, you know, within the, within the company, you know, depending on, of, of course, the product or the service or the nature of the business, 
you know, you start to see that a lot of companies are starting to deal with unionization issues. That's a growing trend across most tech companies within the spaces of like your, you know, your Apples, your, your Amazons, and, you know, probably even more to come. I wouldn't even be surprised if we start seeing it, say, for example, within like places like Uber and DoorDash. But then there's some internal factors like lack of ownership, invested mentality, uh, talent shortages. And we've gone through those before, believe it or not, where we go through challenge or where we go through talent shortages. You know, the founders, they hit a ceiling. So like their passion and drive from like when they first started out completely changes now that as the business gets bigger, you know, they, you know, they kind of like lose what we call perspective um, because of the fact that they're more so in the sense of the governing body. They have to focus more so as the CEO of a massive corporation versus beforehand they they did it for the love of the innovation and also trying to essentially solve a massive problem and that's the part where we think about it where when the problem has now been solved um where do you go from here and then of course you know innovation timing you know like i said when you solve those complex problems you know and you know it's unfortunate but most large organizations are focused on driving incremental growth you know, via perfecting a process and departmental lift. So like, you know, this is one of the things that let's say Apple gets crucified on significantly um, because of the fact that, you know, people say, well, where's the innovation? And they mostly do things on an incremental basis, though that I think that we'll probably see a significant shift in where their focus is when we start to see, I guess, their glasses or goggles or whatever they want to call it. Um, so those are things in which that can have massive amounts of impact. So, you know, those are the things in which that, you know, when we look at it from a perspective, you know, you know, those are the things that can be significant drivers either to the upside or to the downside. All right. So let's go a little bit further into the sustained momentum, stagnation and, you know, obsolence or like pretty much where you start to become obsolete. <laughs> uh, so pretty much simple things where it's like it adapts innovation equals growth. So most of your growth companies, they focus on sustained momentum, always consistently getting bigger, always driving forth the next thing instead of, you know, paying out a dividend or anything like that. And like, this is how you can only see it. Growth companies, they don't really, they don't focus on, on paying out a dividend to shareholders. The way that they return value to shareholders is to keep growing the company and the company itself keeps growing at a massive amounts of scale in which that ultimately drives the value of the stock, which is AKA returning value to shareholders. Stagnation, uh, chase tactics, um, or dissonance, where pretty much means that essentially it's like they're not growing, they're not declining, they're not, they're not, they're not declining, they're not growing, but they're just, they're kind of just here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, either it could be that they just recently flattened or whatever it may be, but it's like, you know, and all companies go through these different phases just as a heads up, but they just become stagnant, you know, whether the board or the leadership, they become stagnant, they, they kind of like lose perspective, as I just mentioned. You know, it could be multiple different factors in these cases, but all in all, um, it, it just literally has like one of those pieces in which that it's, you know, it, it sucks, you know, especially for, you know, when we think about like what could be in the future. So like when you get to that point, it's only possible when the business is structured for adapting and innovation. So as I mentioned above, being content to keep up with the competition leads to stagnation, you know. Steve Jobs said it best, you know, innovation is what separates leader from followers. So if you're following another company, then nine times out of 10, you become stagnant versus essentially you create 
you know, the, like you, you spur the innovation and everything else, then essentially everybody starts to follow you. And then refusing to respond is a recipe for pretty much, you know, obsolence. Um, and I wonder if I'm actually, you know, mispronouncing that because I think I could be. Um, but yeah, obsolescence. Knew it. All right. So pretty much it's a failure, you know, where it's like you're you 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 refuse to accept what's in front of you and what you believe and what everybody else is telling you what's coming. And you still think that you can weather it and everything else, you know, pridefully. And normally you start to see that companies really start to go in those declines. Now, doesn't mean that those companies are dead. Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. It just means that, you know, you know, there's still some work to do. And that there may be a change that may be necessary on the horizon. All right. So let's look at the other part, like, you know, how to build and sustain momentum. So like these are the things in which that you should look for when we when we start to say, okay, hey, these are these are the recipes in which that creates that S curve for people to literally be able to, you know, change that momentum and head in the right direction. So there's what we call story vesting, the three P's and then the bullet tie funnel. So. It's a lot, so I'm gonna get into the. I'm gonna try to get into it as much as I can for y'all, um, without like going too deep. Um, but pretty much, you know, it's so it's it's pretty much based upon you know here here's the first component, which when we look at story vesting, you know, it's a proprietary end-to-end system for improving cus- customer experience and promoting uh, growth by aligning a company's core purpose and structure with the needs of its customers. So in order for a company to constantly grow, there are several relationships that have to be maintained. Like, for example, customers to the brand, uh, company to the customer, uh, employees to the company and company to the employees. So those are the things in which that needs to happen, where it's like it's very customer centric. There's a vested internal team. So they're like completely vested, completely all in, bought in. And there's that internal, external, you know, kind of like you know, equilibrium where it builds, there's that loyalty. And then, you know, story vesting kind of like lays out a, like a simple methodology where it leads into the next thing, which is those three, where it says the three P's, where it's like you invest in your team, your data driven process and propel tool or proper tools and platforms. So when we think about it, like the three P's, that's the essential building blocks of a business. So if you don't get anything else, Know that those are the key pieces to any business of whether or not if it has it, then it's it has a recipe of some form of success. If it does not, you can most likely guarantee failure is on the horizon. So when we think about people, that's employees and partners, of course. And with a growth mindset, you know, they have to have that. You know, if not, then it's like if I'm just here just to collect a paycheck, but no focus on anything of the future, then, of course, problem. When we think about processes, that's the things that are refined and optimized. And so it's just over time. And then when we think about platforms, they enable you to deliver the best possible customer experience. So like, for example, this would if you need a a company in which that you can kind of like, you know, model this after look at Amazon. Amazon is completely focused when it comes to to the three P's. And if you can see it, then that's where it really comes into that entire process now, which leads us to the Bowtie funnel, which is focused on ideal buyer, integrated uh, teams, optimized buyer journey. So pretty much it's a simply thing where it's like it incorporates active feedback loops that serve to carry your ideal customer from prospect 
uh, to brand advocacy. So we're pretty much where they're a prospective customer. And then now it's like now that they've experienced the product or service, it's like they become so loyal to the brand that they start to speak on it. Now, when we think about this type of model, you know, Jolyn, who would you say, which, which company would you, would you say represents the bow tie funnel? Oh, bow tie funnel. I'm going to say it is Amazon. Actually, you know, you can actually, well, yeah, Amazon represents all of these, but I would say the one that really is very closer to everybody in the chat, I would probably say that it would probably be tied to a company like Tesla. Oh, ideal buyer. Okay. Integrates teams, optimized buyer journey. Okay. I can see that. And the reason why is because if you think about it, the company, like the, the people in whom we that they're, you know, pretty much advocate or selling to become their greatest advocates, which ultimately decreases their need to essentially have to spend when it comes to, um, you know, advertisement and marketing. Okay. So then which leads us to the three eyes, invent, innovate, and improve purely simplistic right there. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's literally the key crux of all of it. You know, invent a new idea or method, innovate, uh, create significant change, and then three, improve processes and products. That's where it breaks down. That's what it, these things, these base components pretty much boil down to when it comes to those three eyes. That's literally what it comes down to. That's pretty much, you know, the game right there. Okay, so let's get a little bit more into the innovation loop because we just talked about it, right? So when we look at the S-curve of growth, like you see that there is this ideate, uh, so pretty much ideate, then refine, experiment, empathy, define. So that's a constant, it's a constant figure eight, which means that essentially it's never ending. And companies that literally possess this type of mentality in consistently refining and of course experiment finding areas in which that they can experiment you know and notice where we're at where we get to these places of the peak then we get to this place where it's like all right well we start to go through this period of refining and then we're experimenting we understand our customers we start to define a new role and then we can that that new role became an idea that now we've put into progress so pretty much this is where the the where the S-curve begins is pretty much that story vesting framework. If you see the executive buy-in, cross-team alignment, business modeling, and MVP pivot analysis, right? We see all that. And MVP, minimal viable product. So it's consistently focused on some type of minimal viable product that literally expands into, say, for example, well, you've proven that, you've validated that, and then essentially you consistently keep refining that. And then there's some key tactical levers, like, for example, fast learning. you got to be fast and, and iterative. Um, so iterative design and testing, process optimization, channel optimization, content reposition. So, again, you start to see these things play out. Like, for example, I guess the best way to put it is where we see that Amazon started spending a vast amount of billions of dollars into getting into, you know, their logistics side of the platform, right? And then, of course, it's like, okay, now they're iterating their process to like focus on things like one day delivery and last mile. And then those things, they started to refine it even further and experiment with those things. And then they started to understand their customers even more based upon the data in which that was being driven, which ultimately started to give it new definition, which turned into the idea literally starting to literally build, which literally turned into um, ship with Amazon or buy with Prime. Now, Mark, this is really dope because when um, 
when we had Kathy Wood as a guest and she was talking about um, the S curves and everything, it's like yep. this shows you behind the scenes of what happens. Like yep. as the S is going up and then coming down and then going back out again on the acceleration point. Um, so seeing that infinity sign, I mean, I know it's a figure eight, but it's also infinity. Seeing that in the middle, yeah. you know, is kind of kind of cool it's it's the key it's the key process to everything so for example the final part which turns on those key growth levers because mind you when you go from growth you go through that period and then you prepare yourself for the next thing which is that massive amounts of scale now here's the funny thing you know when you start to see it within stocks you know if you look at it on any type of stock chart you see and you look at it over a long-term basis what i want you to do is the next time you get the chance when you look at a stock chart or for any company, what I want you to do is like where you see those like periods of like compression. That's the part where I want you to start paying attention and literally go back and during those time frames and look at what were those companies investing into or what were they starting to spend their dollars in. And then remember everything that we're talking about here when it comes to this like this S curve model innovation loop and where I'm going even further in this refined process where you start to see okay the the long remember what kathy said and many other people will tell you the same thing especially within the vc space or even just on the investment management space the the longer the coil the heavy the stronger the pop after that coil gets released say that again she also mentioned um that strong base of support mm -hmm. on the stock and then and so when you hear about when you hear about companies making a massive investment into a space then you're going to start to see that over a period of time it, it could be a short period of time it could be a longer period of time but really look towards where a company tells you where they start making the investments now the companies in which that are getting a little bit stagnant i'll give you the playbook i'll give you the playbook for earnings moving forward though i wish i would have done it sooner but you know now that it's on my mind and it it's relative to this Okay. Companies that are focused on paying out a heavy dividend, like companies that are looking to pay out heavy div heavy dividends and not looking to make any investments, tells you that they're stagnant, flat out. They may have had a great quarter or a great series of quarters or a great year, and that's a sign that their that their management is not willing to make the investment. And here's the funny thing: you make the investment when you're on top. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when things are going well, you make the investment. You don't, you don't like, and, and, but if you have the cash and if you have multiple levers, then of course you can make investments during, during downtrends. So that way, when we get to the uptrend, it's like, it's a more significant pop as it pertains to scale because you've got the time. But I, you know, I normally see when we find ourselves on a decline in an economic cycle, like when we reach the peaks, you start to see companies that are making massive amounts of investment. Like for example, Apple, people say that Apple isn't making investment. Nope, that's not true. They made an investment, say for example, with an AR space. If you look at how much time they spent on just developing and literally perfecting AR kit through iOS, where it was available on iPhones, tablets. I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge tell right there to say that, okay, Hey, if we can perfect it here, it's not a hard sell for us to literally, once we've perfected the, the platform as a service, now we can move that platform of AR kit into other spaces, into smaller devices, AKA glasses. And now that you perfected it, now it's just a matter of just essentially just getting things into rotation. So the MVP was AR kit. 
And now that ARKit is now turning into something that can create a whole new line of business, a whole new vertical for Apple, a whole new space alongside with other players that are within it. So this is where it gets to that part of where we start to see successful navigating inflection points on the S-curve of business. So now it, we, we move from like, say for example, growth over time. And now we start looking at things that are say, for example, you know, quality and duration. And this is really where it comes down to, you know, the data where it's like you're leveraging the data in which that you, that you start to bring in. So of course you see this as a scatter plot, but it's really correlated to, to a few things like highly correlated down to when it comes to quality and duration. And then of course, rising confidence on the far side. Um, and then of course, in the middle is that innovation opportunity in which that you spot it. You know, that's really where it comes down into the, the meat and potatoes of things. So, and that's where we look at, like, for example, you know, I guess before Zappos got acquired, you know, if you think about in 1999, Zappos started with a crazy idea of selling shoes online. Mm -hmm. Early on, and, you know, of course, may he rest in peace, uh, Tony Say uh, insisted on going to extremes for customers and running a customer-led culture. Right, mm -hmm. which therein led to once they were so focused on that because the data showed that it's like you focus on providing better customer experiences, the more that customers become loyal, the more that essentially that it create it creates an opportunity. And look at what Zappos did: massive amounts of scale, and ultimately it turned into an amazing opportunity for Zappos, which led to them ultimately becoming acquired to say, for example, uh, Amazon. So. You know, we look at those things and it's like, okay, hey, you know, the the proof is in the pudding, whereas like this constant, this constant correlation to consistently evolving the company through periods of innovation. Um, and if you think about like, you know, the lineage of where Zappos led to, which ultimately is a lot of that technology, which you see in Zappos, literally fueled a lot of what you see in Amazon.com today. Like if we're just keeping it honest with folks. Um, so again, this is the, the main P here's where we get to close to the end where it's pretty much how to identify an inflection point, because a lot of folks are like, well, how do I identify it? Well, you measure and analyze trending metrics internally, AKA user growth rate, revenue, profit rate, um, customer satisfaction scores, etc. And externally you look at the micro micro and macro economic data, socio-political data, um, you start to see those things and then start applying those things based upon what you're seeing from the company's performance. And, you know, you can easily plot those towards, okay, one of the things that I like to do, and maybe I'll show it, you know, in a later episode, where I literally plot out a graph, like a like I literally put together a chart of things, like a simple, like, Excel document mm -hmm. of things that have taken place or transpired economically, and whether on a micro or macro side. And then the things that I look at is what is it that the company is telling me and what is the like, and then also what the end, like what the industry or what the sentiment is, okay. it really starts to kind of like drive a story of like, okay, Hey, is this advantage, you know, company X or is this disadvantage company X and kind of like gathering that kind of timeline of when these things kind of like start to subside themselves 
they start to tell you, okay, hey, is this a growth opportunity or is this a declining opportunity? Have they reached that point? So like, for example, if you guys remember me saying for quite a bit of time, I said, okay, hey, well, is this company's best days ahead of it or are they behind it? You know, the data is the one thing that tells us that story. Then, of course, how to navigate an inflection point, establish data-driven growth focused teams. So increasing employee learning, education. So if you notice, there's a reason why Apple spent over a billion dollars in building facilities in North Carolina, why you're probably going to start seeing a lot of financial institutions looking towards places like Atlanta. Um, and then, of course, in other arenas, like even it's it's it makes perfect sense why we see a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and, you know, billionaires and whomever else flocking to places like Florida. Um, and then how not to navigate an inflection point. So brainstorm meetings, chasing. So these are things in which that they normally give towards, you know, executives. But this is something that you can use also as an entrepreneur, if that is you, or if you're looking at, you know, literally going through and dissecting, you know, how is it that management teams are run? So I would say a good thing for whether it's startup or publicly traded companies, Get to know who the management team is. Like, honestly, don't even just know the CEO. Learn who the COO is. Learn who the CTO is or the chief marketing officer. Learn who those individuals are. And if you can, learn who the board members are. Because some board members are just career board members. They're just there just to be like, okay, hey, I'm there for voting. Some folks are there just specifically for management. And then others are there because of the fact that they want to see significant, massive amounts of impact. So get to know who those players are. And nine times out of 10, when you see certain board members, they don't just sit on one board. They sit on multiple boards. And you can start to see a trend across the board based upon who, who, who they are, what boards they sit on, and essentially the result of those companies as well. You start to see a trend there. And um, then, of course... Wait, can we go back yeah. right quick? Yeah. Okay, so that part, the last... Um section versus how not to navigate an inflection point. Yep. Um, so when I read the chasing new channels and tactics and changing strategies without basing it on uh, data and all that. Um, yep. Okay. So it kind of reminded me of Instagram. <laughs> Facts. Because they, you know, they were on the whole, you know, reels thing because of TikTok and they made all these changes. And I feel like there's a new change every other day it seems like at least yep. every other week and so yep. um does does meta fall into this category yeah of inflection you know that's a delicate question and mind you it's like i don't work internally at the company of instagram but you know it's oh, very interesting no i don't um <laughs> if, if i did a lot of things would change especially <laughs> like the folks that are trying to act and be like me and honestly they have no idea what it's like to walk in my shoes for 24 hours but um, I'll say this, you know, one of the things that I do know about software development, and if we have software developers in the room that understand within the tech space, you know, you'll understand where I'm coming from. So it takes a great deal of time to push a product or to push an iteration into the marketplace as an upgrade. So to think that, you know, Instagram just automatically just copied you know, you can you can make an argument for that timeline, but then on the other hand, you can make an argument to say that you know, hey, maybe they foresaw this thing coming, and maybe they just said, okay, hey, we're going to take our time just to wait for the market itself to validate because we don't have to be the first to market anymore. Mm -hmm. 
You know, a lot of folks believe that you have to be the first to market in order to be the best in the market. And that's no longer true anymore. You don't like, for example, Apple wasn't the first, is not going to be the first to market when it comes to goggles or, you know, anything that's uh, mixed reality, virtual or, or augmented. They're not going to be the first. We know this. But the thing is, though that they're not the, though that they weren't the first to market, are they, do they stand the best chance to dominate in this market once they come forth? And that's what matters. Like, you know, for example, you know, when we look at cloud services, you know, Amazon, of course, by all by all things, is the leader. But at the same token, you know, Oracle was one of the first. And does anybody talk about Oracle when we think about, like, for example, you know, the top three cloud service providers? No, Oracle is not in the top three. So, again, it's not about being first to market. It's about being the, the one that comes to market with the most amount of value. Okay, so we've reached my pretty much my final slide, which kind of like ties into showing you how things played out and looking at it from two different, the tail of two companies. So you can see the maturity, the start level, the growth, the scale, the mature, and then path of sustained growth for Netflix. So again, in a recession, <clears throat> somebody started in 2001, 2002, and then essentially they reached a level of growth, but at the same token, another company was on its way to a decline. And then of course, a recession came forth in 2008 to 2009. And remember in 2008, Netflix came to the stage with streaming. <laughs> now, can they pull that same rabbit out of their hat? I don't know. We have to, those are the moments where we have to sit back and wait or essentially learn from the, see what the data tells us. And also see what the market is, is telling us and see exactly where the market is going. You know, you'll start to see certain pieces because it's not just Netflix that represents the entire market. It's not just, say, for example, when we look at the chip space, it's not just Intel, AMD and NVIDIA that tell you the market. Sometimes it's the suppliers to the folks in which that are in that market that they work with, the partners that tell you the story. Like, for example, a Corning Glass tells you and sets the story for, say, for example, the type of technology in which that a lot of these tech companies can build off of. You know, that's a key portion right there. Like, you know, when their technology gets better then the other companies in which that they, you know, become providers to, then, of course, you start to see that the market improves. And, of course, it's about it being adaptable. You know, you can easily, as you can see, it's very easy for you to get stagnant. Who's to say that Blockbuster could not have gotten into streaming? Like, think about it. You know, though that it didn't, it wasn't a part of the lexicon, to my knowledge. But at the same token, it had a significant amount of mind share and everything else. Them alongside with Hollywood Video. Mm -hmm. You know, who's to say that they couldn't have come forth and worked with movie companies and everything else to literally come forth with a streaming platform? This would have been an entirely different landscape as we see it. So again, you know, it's a matter of what you see when it comes to stagnation versus essentially a company that's more hungrier and essentially they have a thirst for growth. Now, the thing is now that now Netflix has become, say, for example, potentially blockbuster. And now they're at an inflection point where now they have to make a decision. They have to make it. They have to make a choice and everything else in order to move forward.
Phenomenal. And that is literally, you know, our school of investing. Um, that was excellent. For the day. They catch on? <laughs> that was great. Cheers. Kudos. Let me take a sip. You know, I had to give the people something for the for the thirty seventh. Um, I wanted to like you know end it on this you know, and I talked about this on my Twitter Spaces. Okay. We see a lot of things that transpire within companies, and it's very easy for everybody to fall into the sensationalism of like, okay, hey, this company has cut back on X amount of folks within their within the company. The layoffs are essentially happening. Layoffs are just a part of the economic cycle; they're going to happen. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, try to reshape your focus and looking at, okay, Hey, just because a company is laying off, maybe they're laying off so that way they can hold on to cash to, to focus on things in which that are main drivers. Um, like for example, I mentioned Microsoft the other day where Microsoft is laying off, you know, a percentage of its, of its workforce that are focused within the office division. But if you think about where Microsoft is and what their business represents, you know, it kind of like starts to tell you, you know, really a different story. And I wanted to share this with everybody really quick, because sometimes it's like we get so caught up into things that we can kind of miss, you know, we can we can kind of miss the actual true story here, which is like if we look at it and shout out to visual capitalists for this one. I think we shared this a while back. But look at where Office was in 2019. This is a, this is an infographic from 2019, which gives you a breakdown of Microsoft's business, right? And during this time, Office had represented 25.7% of its entire revenue. I wonder what it represents today. You know, does it still represent that? And notice it says Office products and cloud services. It's not just Office anymore. You know, like, for example, you know, Windows is not just Windows anymore. I'm probably sure that this is Windows and cloud services because since 2019, they brought on a Windows cloud service where you can actually like if you're working on Mac, you can literally use Windows through the cloud. So, again, it's like, you know, a lot of things have changed within Microsoft's business model. And it also when you start to look at the breakdown of things it really starts to show you exactly where their focus are. These are the main drivers that ultimately got them here to the stage. But just because these things got them here to the stage, I'm probably very much so, I can speak with this one with a full set of confidence that gaming division has grown, their Azure has grown because of the fact that they're tying in their enterprise services. And it's like, yo, it's like, it's right there for you. Just go and look at the earnings data and it will tell you you know, hey, that the, though that they're they're scoring on revenue, but yet at the same token, their their entire business model has shifted. They're using Azure and AI to literally find other sources of business revenue to create more uh, to create more business lines. That they see massive amounts of opportunity that can create massive amounts of scale. Office is still going to be Office, but I think that what we've seen for Office is I think that it's hit its growth and scale until a later point where maybe they can incorporate some of those business services into it. So, I mean, all in all to say that, you know, I, I felt like I would be remiss not to literally bring that up. And when you think about other companies as well, where it's just like, okay, Hey, look at what their revenue drivers are and what drives forth revenue and where is it that they're growing? Um, it tells, it tells the entire story. 
So, ah, thanks, Jolyn, for you know hearing me out and letting me go four minutes over time. And thank each and every single one of you for you know literally just taking the time to like literally sit down and enjoy the School of Investing lesson. Share it with friends. Share it with your family. Take your time. Go over it and study it. Um, I hope that it provides significant value for each and every single one of you, and it, and it helps you in your journey um, in becoming a better investor or trader or just even an economist if that is your passion as well. Until next time, I am Mark Monroe. And I'm Jolene JC and the place to be. And this has definitely been your come up. We will see y'all next week. Is there a supplemental Sunday this Sunday? I believe there is. I'm going to say yes until okay. people let me know. So I'm going to say okay. yes. And don't worry, y'all. TiVo is doing just fine. I mean, he's just, you know, he's in it. Let's say that he's in it. His his life is also going through an S-curve where it's just going into even massive amounts of scale. So just stay tuned. I think that, you know, there's there's more to come. But peace, y'all. Have a great week. And uh, the more you learn, the more you earn. Bye, y'all.